and welcome to episode 11 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Zara. I really need to work on my voice, I guess. I need to start... uh, I'm getting... I'm jumping ahead. Boy, oh boy. So, it's 2018, and life is full of fun, great, wonderful surprises. Last week, I interviewed Carter Manier. That was fun. That was great. I had a great time doing that. And planning all kinds of fun stuff for the podcast going forward. But I'm also planning a lot of things for my life in general. And I am already so exhausted by 2018. And it's January 5th. It's been it's five days in. This year has barely begun. And it is already so tiring. I... Uh, basically have my entire life for the next 12 months mapped out in excruciating detail. And if I differentiate from that or wander off the path, my life is screwed. (laughs) Like, uh, I'm not used to this kind of like regimented thing. So I've mentioned, I think in the last two episodes, my, my plans for, uh, uh, laser hair removal and uh, hormone replacement therapy. But just to recap yet again, I am starting laser hair removal this month, and I'm going to do that until my beard is gone. But I'm also planning to start hormone replacement therapy sometime in March, maybe in April. I think it would be kind of fun if it happened on my birthday. That would be cute. So there's that. But I'm also starting up school again in a couple of weeks. Uh, my... <sighs> It starts on the 16th. I feel like it's super late this year. It's like I've had a full month off, which is just wild to me. But, you know, all right. I'm getting a little bit cabin fever here, but that's fine. So uh, this semester is going to be a little stressful because I'm taking the second unit of my uh, foreign language class, which is the reason why I am still in college at 28, because I've tried foreign language so many times and have always fucked it up because I had undiagnosed ADHD and bipolar disorder and was also a closeted trans person suffering from depersonalization disorder. So it's not my fault that I made bad choices. (laughs) So yeah, doing that's going to take a lot of effort for me, but that's fine. I'm sure it'll be okay. Why not? I mean, I was able to get through this math class last semester, and that was one of the last like gen ed requirements that I needed. So I'm going to be in school for another four months doing some fun stuff. I'm taking a French cinema class. Uh, I'm taking an intro piano class, which I'm really excited about. I've always wanted to learn how to play piano in the like traditional sense of like reading music. I love messing around on a piano and I noodle around on various instruments, but I have no formal training. So my skill set is extraordinarily limited. Oh, but on top of that, I'm planning on going to Italy in July, which if that works out, it will be the first time that I've ever left the United States of America be doing that hopefully as part of a study abroad program, uh, studying World War One and World War Two in Italy, which is really exciting because I have like a fantasy book that's based on World War One, and I would love to see some of the places where that actually happened. And then the World War Two class is focused on uh, fascism in Italy, so uh, that feels fairly apropos of the world in which we live today. But simultaneously to that, all of my roommates are going to be moving to California. Uh, probably in June. It kind of depends on when our lease is up, which is information I definitely need on hand. So uh, I need to jot that down as a question to ask. So if they leave 
in May, then I have to find a place from uh, for the month of June. Then I have to find a place to stay from August through December. So potentially those are two separate places. And then I have to find a place to store all my crap for the month of July, assuming that I'm going to be staying at two separate places. So that's super exciting as a, just a big, stressful ball of future pain in the ass, especially for someone who neither has a car nor a driver's license. So I'm going to be relying on friends that might not be here. So uh, a lot of school this semester is going to be me schmoozing and desperately trying to make as many friends as possible so that I can use them. And also, you know, for connection and social interaction. And then I'm probably going to like stick around for the first half of 2019. But uh, I think I'm going to be applying for grad school, which is like a weird thought. I uh, went from maybe considering grad school, but thinking it was pretty off the table to now being pretty well convinced that that's what I want to do because I've come to realize that basically the only marketable skill I have is thinking about and talking about media. So pursuing, (laughs) pursuing grad school and a career as like a professor is basically the only thing that I have in my cards. Like I'm not going to get a job at uh, an engineering firm or whatever. Yeah. So that's my skill set and that's sort of my plan right now. And also my sister-in-law did a really good job of uh, selling me on the idea based on the fact that it's not as expensive as wider culture seems to push it as if you play your cards right. But I did spend the last few days of 2017, 20, yeah, 2017, geez, I, uh, I spent the last few days of 2017 in Kansas with my brother's family. I, uh, as you remember from episode nine, I was alone on Christmas and my sister-in-law was very mad when she found out about this. Uh, so they came down and picked me up and I spent a couple days with them and it was really nice. I, uh, I I love them a lot and I wish I could spend more time with them. They have three children, one of whom is a teenager now, and it's just wild to watch children grow up right before your eyes. But one of the big things that I had on my agenda when going to Kansas was to talk to my brother and his wife about... My plans for 2018, my plans for transition. And I knew they'd be cool with it. I wasn't expecting any kind of drama, uh, but it was definitely very nice to sit down and talk to them and basically tell them what I just told you about my plans for laser hair removal and hormone replacement therapy. And my brother just sort of like was, yeah, that's, yeah, fine. That's cool. My sister-in-law is the one that I always sort of talk to more. And when I, when I was done explaining my plans, she's like, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's all. She's like, well, sorry, we're sort of taking like a blasé kind of undramatic approach to this, but you know, that's we just want to support you. That was great. Um, and then we had a series of conversations involving me explaining why I felt these steps were necessary, and it was it was interesting. It, I don't know. It was it was a good it was a good thing. It was fine. Honestly, I'm I'm in a weird kind of headspace right now where I don't feel as as awful as I usually do in terms of my body, I guess. 
I've done a lot of work to get closer to myself and feel better about myself. So I'm not as like dysphoric as usual. And like I've maintained my shaving habits now for three months. So the the big trigger for me is mostly gone. And like I'm still annoyed by my weight. And I've kind of the Christmas season, of course, stalled my weight loss because I went to places and decided that carbs are fine. So I'm hovering right around 219 and that's going to decline again soon. But it's still like. I was hoping I would be at or below 200 by the end of 2017, but my <laughs> my expectations are probably not the best adjusted, especially considering I lost I still lost like 40 pounds since August, so it's it's fine. But I have been in this place like why is this is this what I want to do? <sighs> and I, I know I feel like I answered that question in episode nine. And that's the fun of doing this podcast the way that I do it, which is just like as a journal, essentially. And I hope it hammers home to people who are also just starting this podcast that it's 100% normal and expected to constantly waffle back and forth on your own conviction. It's very rare for somebody to be like super duper on board. But I think um, part of my, 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 my hesitance at this point has a lot to do with the fact that there are certain things that I, I can't really do yet for getting myself used to the idea of like presenting as, as a woman. I don't have long hair, and the wig that I have, I am convinced I couldn't pull off in public. Maybe I could, I don't know, but the only places for me to go are places where people know me, so I feel like it would be super weird. Despite the fact that I've lost a lot of weight, I still have, like, all of my weight is in my gut because I've never done a day of manual labor in my life, so my arms are just these thin little noodles, and my legs are, you know, used to carrying around my weight, but otherwise, like, not particularly fatty, so all of my weight loss has to happen in in my belly and it's just taken forever and that's like the one part of the 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 human body that you need it to be thinner to pull off like a feminine look you know and i i know that people do this and it's fine i'm a perfectionist so like i don't want to go out and be very obviously not passing Uh, It's so funny that that's such a big thing for me when I've said so often on this podcast, like people shouldn't worry about that. It shouldn't be about passing. It's, It's about what makes you happy and comfortable, whatever. But I'm just really afraid of trying, like putting myself out there and getting looked at in a certain way or being made fun of to my face. Like again, I'm in Oklahoma, so that's not entirely off the table. And I'm worried that that sort of public humiliation, I don't know if that's the right word, but that kind of bullying, I guess, would discourage me and make me, you know, not want to try or push me back into the closet for a while. So there's a big part of me that's sort of convinced that it's not going to be until August, September of next year after I've lost a whole bunch of weight and after I've been on HRT for a long time and after I've, you know, lasered my beard off that I'm even going to try like passing in public, which is 
fine, I guess. But I have this problem of needing to figure out how to adjust my perspective on myself. Like, how how do you convince yourself that you're a woman, I guess? Like, intellectually, I know it, but semantically, I'm just so used to talking about myself as a man and hearing about myself as a man. It has been interesting... Like when I was in Kansas with my brother's family, it was interesting how much I noticed everybody mentioning he and your uncle and all of that stuff in a way that I've never done before. And the entire first day, I was sort of hearing all of that and thinking, yeah, we definitely need to have this conversation. On the way back, I talked to my sister-in-law a lot about all of this stuff, and she you know, expressed concern not didn't try to talk me out of it or anything, but just asked a lot of questions and made sure that I'd done my research and everything. And she brought up this interesting question. Okay, so let's take it as granted that trans people have always existed. Obviously, like hormone replacement therapy wasn't available to anybody before what? Let's be let's be generous and say 1600. So the vast majority of human history, obviously, hormone replacement therapy wasn't available. So we talk today about, you know, depersonalization disorder as a consequence of untreated gender dysphoria. We look at that as a very specific psychological side effect. So does a prehistoric person or just a a person who exists before the year 1600, do they cease to function in the same way that, I guess, closeted trans people do today? Not in the sense of like they, you know, break down altogether, but for a lot of people, that's what happens. For certain groups of people, there's like a language for a third gender or a, a transgender person. And those people are allowed to express themselves and are given a specific role in the group. And like, did that does that address it for them? Does that fix it, I guess? And so it does beg the question of like how much of it is a social thing where you need to be accepted as how you feel you are in public and how much of it is, I guess, a a chemical issue. Because there is evidence that it is. And as in all things, the answer is that it's a mix of both and people are fucking incomprehensible. And it's impossible to say how things would be different. But what I do know is that this is the option that's in front of me. And I've read a lot about how it affects people, and I've read people's opinions and perspectives on it, you know, the the journals and op-eds from people who've gone through HRT, and overwhelmingly it feels like their experience describes mine to some extent. And so I'm in this weird place where like I don't I don't feel the the overwhelming dysphoria. And honestly, there's there's a lot of stress attached to starting transition because that's the point at which I don't want to say it's a point of no return, but it is a point where my status as an unquestioned cis person starts to go away in the public eye and I start looking different. And I'm, you know, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of going to class dressed differently. And my sister-in-law and I, we talked about me in high school. I feel like every time I, uh, I, I visit them, I'm reminded of some other element of my upbringing that that made me the mess that I am today and how much I wish that 
I had been raised in a more like regimented style, the way that they do with their kids. One of her questions was like, if you, if you, well, first, what would it have taken for you as a teenager to realize that you could be trans? And I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I think part of it would have been having more visible trans characters in media. But there's a problem with that in that if you make a trans character before transitioned and their character sort of automatically reduces down to I'm the trans person and here's my coming out story. But if you make a post-transition trans person, do you make it obvious that they're a trans person? Or is it that they're just a normal person without any like identifiers and nobody ever talks about it? At which point is that character trans? <laughs> I mean, if they're written that way, then yes. But if it's invisible to everybody... Will people pick up on it? Like, if you have to say it as a creator, like, also, this character is trans, the way that, like, J.K. Rowling says, oh, yeah, by the way, Dumbledore is gay. Like, does that really count? You know? So it is difficult. And this is where some of my conversation with Carta comes into play, where she points out that comics are kind of the perfect medium for exploring transness because... None of those things are necessarily a factor because you, as the artist and writer, choose the layers of reality that represent transness, and you can be as explicit or subtle about that as you want. But I think the other thing that would have helped me is just to have a conversation where somebody told me that this is what transgender means. Uh, the, the, The gender binary is bullshit. Also... It's different for everybody, and you shouldn't believe in holistic narratives. And here's Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano. But I still don't know if it would have if it would have helped. A lot of that weekend was kind of ruminating on how could my brother's family have saved me to some extent, or how could I have saved myself from the the years of self-inflicted torture that I've gone through. My sister-in-law asked me if they should have swept me up after my mom died. And I told her like, yes, absolutely. You should have, because I needed more stability. And, you know, I went to live with my sister after my mom died and that was great, but I was still kind of left to my own devices because everybody worked all the time and, you know, they did their best. They tried and it was great. It was a great time. It was a great family. I don't regret my time there, but I think I did need some kind of explicit structure that my my brother's family would have been much more devoted to making sure I got. But, you know, she brought up the point, like, would you have been receptive to that? And I don't know. I, I like to think that I would have been, but I don't know. I, I It's hard to speak to who I was at 19, you know, because I was still, I was still a kid. And it took me basically two years of suffering on my own before I let them talk me into going to college. It's like the person that I am and the person that I was, nothing would have made any difference. It's sort of (laughs) what I'm feeling right now is that I was, and to some extent remain, a very stubborn and exhausted person. So I don't know what would have helped. And maybe I was just doomed to wait until age 28 to come out of the closet 
And I think that's a lot of where I am right now is that I'm 28 and I'm having to re-examine my entire perspective of myself. And there's this tantalizing future where I'm comfortable in my body and I am excited about my future. And I'm, I'm worried that I'm building it up again, that I'm making this into a myth that the reality will not be able to live up to. And I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to build myself up just to fail again. And so I'm, I think a lot of it is just me trying to temper my expectations and just say, I am doing it. This is my plan, but I don't want to think about it because if I think about it too much, I'll start getting excited. And if I get excited, I'll turn it into a big thing. And then it's just going to get worse and worse. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where that is. But, uh, so I asked my friend Emily on Twitter, how she dealt with, um, starting to uh, cross-dress, for lack of a better term, just to you know dress as your preferred gender, I guess would be a better way to put it. And um, she had some good advice for me. Now, she's like 10 years younger than me, so it's she acknowledged that her advice is coming from a place of like, she started cross-dressing super early and has had a slightly easier time of it in the sense that she's not overweight. You know, she talks about how she was able to try on her sister's clothes when she wasn't around. So uh, there's that. But, you know, she pointed out to me that people don't really care. You're really nervous and you think everybody's eyes are going to be on you. But mostly people don't give a shit. And that's the thing that I I need to remind myself of is that the, the only person who really gives a shit is you. Nobody, most people don't really care like what clothes you're wearing or what you're doing. And it's another one of those things like I talked about in episode nine, where because it's so present in the narrative of trans people, it, it's inflated in our imagination because it's a part of every movie and every story we read when the reality is that it probably doesn't happen that often. And I don't say that to play down the fact that it does happen quite often, but just that it's not an everyday thing for probably most people, or it's just an occasional thing and it shouldn't be a thing at all. But that's something that's hard to keep in mind. But I talked about like this feeling of how do you start thinking about yourself as a woman? And Emily told me like, yeah, it is tough and you always fuck up. And she describes, you know, misgendering herself in her head and having dreams of herself as a male and how they're, when those things happen, she, she panics a bit, but ultimately it, it just takes time and practice. It's not a magical switch that you flip in your head where suddenly it's like, ah, yes, I realized that I am a different gender than what I thought that I was. And now I'm perfectly okay with that. It takes time to <laughs> reprogram yourself and approach your identity from a different perspective and let it change organically. So yeah, of course it's not comfortable to me, you idiot. It's you. This idea is months old for me. 
And even Carta talked about that, how everybody has to go through that sort of awkward phase of not really knowing how to dress themselves and going around in public and making a spectacle of themselves because you are a teenage girl, essentially, sort of reverting back to that place in in your life where that opportunity that you never got as a teenager, you know, to, to learn how to be a girl, I guess. Oh, so the, I guess the ne- the thing that I need to work myself up to is just wearing the clothes that I want around my friends, which is going to be real hard. But I've got some clothes coming from ThreadUp soon that I'm real excited about. Uh, the ones I talked about last week, they still haven't arrived, but when they do, it'll be great. I actually got some pants, which is nice. I've needed some pants. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully they fit. Ugh. So yeah, I guess we will see how all of those fun things develop. So I want to talk about something that I saw on Twitter, which is great. You know, Twitter's wonderful and unproblematic and nothing bad ever happens there. Not like YouTube, where fucking assholes go to Japan and make videos of dead bodies and put them on the internet for their 15 million subscribers. Ugh. So Caitlin Burns on Twitter, uh, her handle is at transcribe, posted a link to this Newsweek article basically detailing the story of a woman from the UK who was embarrassed and distressed when a transsexual nurse with stubble and tattoos was sent to perform her pap smear in September. I love the use of transsexual as opposed to any other term, but such is life. So obviously as an event, that's annoying and dumb and shouldn't have happened. But what a lot of people have pointed out on Twitter about that particular story is that basically every time there's any kind of news about trans people, it's always from the perspective of cisgendered people. But so why is this an issue? Well, at my black friend... Uh, wrote, serious question, what is shameful about this specific article? Is your point with the retweets that many people receive unacceptable service at the doctor, so there's no need to write an article about it? Caitlin Burns responds, a cis patient misgendered and harassed a trans healthcare worker who simply was trying to do her job, and now it's international news that the cis woman was uncomfortable. I'm centering trans discomfort with cis healthcare workers here. And then at Miss Meadowsweet replied, nope, a female patient asked for a female practitioner. She didn't get one due to what the NHS admitted was a clerical error on their part. The nurse concerned did not have a GRC. He also showed no empathy by trying to insist on carrying out the procedure. Caitlin Burns then replied, so let's go to the international press and pick apart her appearance. Meadowsweet responded, the anonymous nurse insisted that they were female when they weren't, and the nurse insisted that they are female when they weren't is an abuse of power. Quite distressing for the patient. Being distressed doesn't equal harassing a nurse. So I guess this is just one of those difficult conversations where one side is insisting a trans woman is a woman, so you have to treat her like a woman, which is true and fair and valid. And then you have other people on the other side who are just like, but this person looks like a guy and is giving me my pap smear and I'm not okay with that. So a patient having an issue with anything about the nurse that's sent to them, that's their right. That's totally fine. Uh, The reasons can be bigoted and that's a different discussion, I think. But uh, we don't know what happened. Whatever. The real problem is the insistence by Newsweek and the Daily Mail to turn this into international news. It's not really that important. It doesn't, it's not 
why is this news? It's just a thing that happened at a hospital. And clearly it's news because it's clickbait for people who want to find an excuse to dislike trans people. So it's not the, the, the problem isn't the reporting necessarily. The problem is the fact that it's then picked up and circulated. And obviously there's just this unspoken thing of like, we're capitalizing on the desire of trans exclusionary radical feminists to grab any bit of ammunition that they can get. Look, see, he had a beard and he was doing a pap smear is clearly, you know, vision boundaries and being a pervert or whatever. And uh, it's just frustrating. But the upshot of this is that Caitlin Burns asked trans people to share their uncomfort with cis people in various healthcare situations. So this Twitter thread has 193 comments. So I'm going to dig into some of these because I haven't had any of these experiences yet. And they're very informative to me. Caitlin Burns shares a story from a follower. When, as a terrified and scared, I might be trans person... I was asked by a psychiatrist, do you like lesbians in porn? I know men. Men like lesbians. I think you just want your wife to be fucking you. I sadly swear that is true. The Cauldron Center in Coventry. I'm not sure what that last sentence means, but I'm sure it's uh, it's very clever. At TransEthics said, I was denied my prescribed hormones at a trans-friendly quote-unquote inpatient mental health facility. Nurses tried to claim they were not necessary. At Mags Visags says, when I saw my first endocrinologist, he was visibly embarrassed to even be talking about transition therapy, tried to scare me out of doing it, and then gave me a ridiculously low-dose e-prescription without a T-blocker until I asked for one. She later clarified, one milligram estradiol, take orally, one. At Jenny V. Simile says, Healthcare providers feeling so have you had the surgery is appropriate small talk to make. Hashtag trans health fail. They think so long as they're smiling, they're one of the good ones and any invasion of my privacy doesn't matter. They other me with kindness. At Jean Sophie underscore M says, my therapist sent me to a mental health hospital because I was in a crisis. I was kept waiting for 13 hours because they wouldn't house me with a cis woman and otherwise didn't have enough beds. I went to the ER because I'd been fainting inexplicably and having lower abdominal pain. Male doctor gave me a rectal exam without my consent. After a colonoscopy, a nurse joked as I washed off the lubricant that it probably wasn't my first time doing so and said, you're welcome. At XY Cyber Julie says, The only doctor I have that genders and names me properly is my psychiatrist. General practitioner, dead name. Cardio, dead name. My cardio office did name me properly for a short bit and then stopped, despite my chart saying explicitly who I am, despite my clinician sending them a letter. If I got to the doctor looking any slight bit femme at all and I get called by my dead name, the looks I get in the waiting room are withering. 
I have to go boy mode to the doctor when I'm sick just so I don't get treated like shit. But I'm the fragile snowflake. And then adds, oh, and let me add this one. Two fucking years ago, I was in place to get my letter from my then therapist recommending me for HRT. She had all the documentation. I provided her everything. And then, and then, she fucking ghosted me for six months before saying she was leaving the practice and I needed to find someone else, which meant waiting six months for an opening at an informed consent clinic. So it's a year that was pushed off starting the process of transitioning because of bullshit. This one's rough. At Liam Dell says, when my usual doctor moved away, the clinic promised me I'd be paired with a trans-friendly doctor. Went to get my testosterone script I'd been having for years, and new doctor just said, I'm not doing that for you with no explanation and charged me for the visit. I then spoke to the manager. Old clinic refused to let anyone do their own testosterone injection. The nurse that did them for us would patronizingly read out all the side effects of tea and make us agree to it despite going there every two weeks for years and wanting those exact side effects. That nurse once spilled a $164 tea shot and said, oh, it's mostly all there. I'll still inject it. Meaning I'd have no idea what my dose was. Then she said, oh, I cut my hand on the vial. Oh, well, you ready? And was about to inject me with maybe bloody tea with the same hand. I walked out. Stop doctor for a standard pap test. I triple checked. She knew I was trans and what that meant and she brushed me off with, honey, I've done millions of these and I've seen it all. Don't worry. But then she went, whoa, in shock when she saw my crotch. She was awkward after that. Went to a doctor at an LGBT clinic to get a serious results where I had to discuss symptoms of bleeding downstairs. She interrupted me and lent in like an excited child to say, I just have to say this is so weird and fun to be talking about this with you, indicating my beard, etc. Plus, several doctors and counselors growing up who I would see desperately in need of help. The entire visit was me teaching them what transgender meant, got zero help, and charged for the appointment. I often wonder how they remember me and thank me when they see trans clients now. And again, that was at Liam Dell. At Who's the Killer says, I went to the doctor to see if he could help in any way with getting me a referral to a GIC. He told me maybe I was just not confident confident about my body and not trans before finally referring me to CAMHS. I haven't been to the doctors since. Some of these people are from different countries, so I'm not entirely sure what their uh, different things are, like what the... There's like NHS stuff that I have no knowledge of. At Klingenfels underscore Zoe says, Oh, where to start? The turfy mandatory therapist? The doctor who quizzed me about details of my hormones when I complained about a physically blocked ear canal? The total sum of bad experience? that make seeking out healthcare and especially mental healthcare a chore? Even with trans-affirmative, quote-unquote, I had mixed experiences, like doctors begrudgingly saying they have to treat me like a biological woman without a uterus. Like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. At A-O-I-F-E-M-R-T-N says, I was referred for a psych evaluation to prove that I had gender identity disorder. The psychologist who assessed me kept stopping the assessment to dictate a letter about me as if I wasn't there. He referred to me in the third person and at one point described what I was wearing. Alfie is wearing a shirt skirt and black tights. Also, I was a blood donor for over 20 years. When I informed them that I was trans and wished to present as female, I got a letter advising me to stop donating. I fought this, went to a national newspaper, and after 18 months, they agreed to change my name and gender on their database. I've since started donating with no issues. 
shall. At Scalamity says, My doctor delivers a lot of babies and wasn't available for another month, but I needed to get the ball rolling. It's a multi-doctor practice, so the front desk booked me an appointment with the only doctor available with, quote-unquote, experience with trans patients, which, uh, let me tell you, this dude was awful. He was weirdly patronizing, made a lot of weird assumptions about me, tried to, aha, gotcha, trick me into saying something that he could construe as, this person is just a tomboy and doesn't understand the difference between gender and clothing repeatedly brought up details about other trans patients he presumably has, all trans women, and never once correctly gendered them while speaking. He brought up bottom surgery despite me stating that I'm not interested in it, which led to weird, irrelevant, scare scenarios like, if you get the surgery, it's really crude, lots of room for mistakes, you could end up in a diaper because of permanent incontinence, it's not worth it. First off, don't want it. Second, super wrong? And when I remained unimpressed, he tried to play to my supposed female vanity, which is a different kind of yikes, with the statement, male pattern baldness, that's a thing. You could lose all your hair, wouldn't that be awful? Which, one, I don't give a fuck, and two, at Berliloquy, came to my appointment in case the doc was shitty and I got flustered and was sitting right there with his male pattern baldness listening to this. The doc kind of trailed off in horror when he realized that he'd maybe have offended Corey and gave me my referrals. The good news is he referred me to an amazing endocrinologist who spent the first half of my first appointment ranting about the referral letter, quote unquote, this doc sent me and how he clearly doesn't know fuck all about trans people. It was cathartic to hear her say, look at this bizarre doom and gloom referral letter he sent for you. I don't know what he's on, but I've literally never had a trans mask patient who ever regretted HRT. Who is this clown? At Potato Politics says, visited the mental health health emergency ward after a bad night, got stuck with a male doctor despite asking for a female one. The doctor thought me being trans caused my bad mood and then lied to me so I'd consent to being confined, told me I could leave any time. I didn't get food or water, left in a cold hospital room alone with nothing to do for a full day. Nurses came and gave me medicine that I had not consented to take, forced me to take them. I did not get my hormones and they took the ones I had with me. I was let out after the head doctor on call did their rounds and didn't understand why I was confined. I was misgendered the whole time. Only male doctors and nurses interacted with me, including physical exams that they forced me to have. No apology from anyone. Many mentioned that I suffer from gender identity disorder, and during some kind of talk they did with me, they asked if I wanted someone to try and fix that before they lied to me. During confinement, they kept referring to me having gender identity disorder. I now don't trust doctors with anything for any reason reason. I'm sure some are good, but I'm not surprised queer people don't have confidence in the healthcare system. At Die Booth says, NHS doctor refused to approve my self-funded top surgery because it'll be so ugly you won't want to look in the mirror. To add, I went to a different doctor, got my surgery after years of false starts and fighting for it. Now I finally can look in the mirror, which is a great point. At Jordan Lamley says, I admitted to being trans to a body checkup clinic questionnaire for mental health and the nurse that was assigned to me went on a long tangent about how she met someone who thought they were trans when they were younger, but turns out they weren't, just to tell me in a long-winded way that I'm too young to decide that what I'm experiencing is simply a phase. When I explained to her why I think I'm trans, she essentially waved it off and said I was just a misguided, confused, and don't know what I want. She even dissed me for not wanting a boyfriend. I tried telling her that it's been five years since I discovered I'm trans at the time, and I didn't once regret the choice, and she continued to rebuff me 
me saying I'm too young to decide something like this because the consequences are irreversible. Stop trying to argue with her because I noticed she was religious. <laughs> At Henley Charlie says, where to start? When I was admitted to A&E after seizing on and off for approximately 40 minutes, the first questions they asked me after establishing I could talk and knew my name was, can you tell me about your sex change? I was terrified. In the ambulance on the way there, the paramedics called me by the right pronouns until they had to lift up my shirt, uncovering my binder. From then on, I was referred to with only female pronouns despite my protests. Anytime I get a referral to a new doctor, my trans history is disclosed without my consent, which often results in prejudiced treatments and clinicians do whatever they can to blame my trans status for whatever symptoms I have. When I was in hospital last, I was very publicly asked by a doctor if I was biologically female. The next day, I was told this wasn't medically relevant. When I pushed for further explanation, I was just told that it was because a lot of hospitals wouldn't let me in a male ward. I've been told I need to make peace with my female self by a psychiatrist after seeking help for something utterly unrelated to gender. And the time I was questioned about my binder by a rheumatologist who'd asked me to undress to my underwear in front of her. She then wrote a letter to my GP, which made a point of calling me a girl as often as possible despite her knowing full well that I am male. At Teletruth says, I was concerned about my hormone levels with my endocrinologist and asked if she could adjust my prescription. She yelled at me that I shouldn't question her and when I said this is about my body and who I am, she said, well it's also about my career, which is who I am. At FT Emmett says, I went to the ER for chest pain and after explaining why I was on testosterone and my pronouns and gender before my name slash marker had been changed, the doctor stepped out of the room and thinking I couldn't hear him, said to the nurse, she's on testosterone and I don't know why. Ugh. So yeah, there's literally hundreds of accounts of very similar experiences at hospitals and, and clinics and places like that. And um, besides the obvious point that, holy shit, fuck those fucking asshole people, uh, that's kind of discouraging and frightening to somebody in my position who is in the process of starting down that path. So I've been really excited to get started with a HRT and everything and, and, and laser hair removal. And now I'm suddenly realizing like, God, I haven't checked to see if either of the places I'm planning to go to have like a reputation with trans people around here. I really need to do that because, oh boy, what, what oh gosh, like I don't want to go to this laser place and just get shit on the entire time. Like that sounds awful. Oh boy. Now the good thing is that I know that at least one of the clinics in Oklahoma City does informed consent. So I don't have to worry about like a GP or a psychologist or psychiatrist like running me through any of that bullshit. Well, the good thing is both my psychologist and psychiatrist have said that they would write me referral letters if need be. So I guess I wouldn't have to deal with that anyway. So I'm lucky in that regard. I don't know if I have like a big grand point to make about this. It's just something that I wanted to highlight as something that was, that's been on my mind. Like it's really clear that this world doesn't quite know how to deal with, with trans people right now and maybe never has and uh in the medical world there's um a lot of different ideas, obviously. But so recently the uh the CDC, I believe, released or there were leaked words that were discouraged from being used in official studies and reports. They were not banned as people put them, but any reports that do use those words will not get any grants 
or funding from the CDC or the government. So it's kind of the same thing. But um, one of the words on there is obviously transgender. And the thing is, like, there's there's so little medical research about the health of trans people. All of the most common, like, courses of treatment for us are off the shelf. Estradiol is not intended as the way that we use it in hormone replacement therapy. And like T-blockers are meant as a diuretic. There's very little long-term studies of how that affects the health of a person. Like, does it give you horrible crushing cancer? Does it ruin your brain altogether? It's really frightening. And the fact that there is now explicit disincentivization on the part of the government to do this research as well well as spread a better understanding among nurses and doctors and everything. <sighs> it's just scary. I don't know. I wish I had uh, I wish I had like a, an optimistic point to end on, but I guess all my my only thought is um, despite all of this, most of the people sharing their stories on there still got the treatment they needed and they're happier for it. So even if we have to deal with assholes on the way, we know it's right for us, and nobody can tell us otherwise. They can try, but they're wrong. Hello, and thank you for listening to this podcast. Just a couple of quick things. First, if you have stories or things to tell or you want to talk to me personally, send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. I want this show to reflect more different kinds of experiences, so send me an email if you're interested in that. If you like what I do and want to help me make more, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash LTAS. Patreon is a service where you can pledge to give me a little bit of money each month, and that money helps me to buy research materials for my YouTube show, but it also helps me pay my rent and do other things. So please do that. And also just, you can follow it and you don't have to give me money and I, you'll find out about like some of the other stuff that I do. I'm on Twitter at HMS No Fun. The uh, cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. The music you heard in this episode is the Me Channel theme by Insane in the Rain Music. Thanks as always for listening and I will see you next week.